podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show on ESPN. Good to have you with us, gang, as we build up to the 2021 season episodes dropping thick and fast, which means the guest list is expanding with some big heavyweight names coming your way, including today's guest, one of our favorites. He's been entrenched in the NFL UK broadcast scene for many years, always enjoy his takes on things, including his beloved Dallas Cowboys. And we're going to franchise focus on them in particular on today's show. So Cowboys fans, keep your ears peeled and welcome the brilliant Richard Graves. Gravesy, good to see you, man. We have just uh, both been compared to Simon Cowell by Ollie, the producer, before, <laughs> before we started recording, which is a great start. What a compliment, isn't it? <laughs> I, I definitely take that as at least 51% compliment. Um, if you're wondering why, go check out our videos at the NC Show. That's where we put videos from the show on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. First things first, good to see you, man. Um, and it's this time of year, Gravesy, when we, uh, as I'm sure you are going to be exactly the same boat as me, have got... The annual guides out, right? And I want let's compare notes. I've got my Lindy's actually doubling down on Lindy's. Um, Lindy's, of course, it still run the cheerleaders centerfold, <laughs> which is which is an interesting. What, what you you go for the articles, right? Yeah, of course, <laughs> of course I do. College football athlon wheeling in the college football because we're doing college days. I've got to be up to speed with with Ben Isaacs, of course, and then another athlon as well. What about you? Are you the full set, Gravesy? You're gonna you've got like six or seven of these. Do you like getting the whole shebang? Well, I've moved on into the 21st century. I'm not so much the, the hardback, <laughs> softback paper annuals. I'm more streaming online. Can, right. Where can I get information from? Anywhere possible. Love it. Uh, my wife loses her rag with me occasionally. Will you put that iPad down? Obviously, other tablets are available. Of course. Um, but yeah, this, this time of year, look, we've had six, seven months where it's all been talk. And now finally, you've got the guys putting pads back on with a ball in their hand. And you know, the start of the season is only five or six weeks away. It's time to get excited. You know, the season is starting when the New York Giants are fighting in practice. <laughs> when that is happening, <laughs> which is putting a smile on your face, I'm sure, being a, a devout, diehard, a devout, 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 a diehard Dallas Cowboys fan. So that's where I want to start uh, with, because there are a few things I want to get into, but I want to, we'll be doing, uh, as I know you're an ardent listener, of the show uh and you know we'll be doing our franchise deep dive so we're going to kind of double down with you do some new stuff as well but as you're here and we want to talk haven't talked cowboys yet we'll do a, a franchise focus on on the cowboys and just get a sense of where they're at because there, there feels understandably i guess a huge amount of optimism going into this season is that something that you're sharing in are you going into this season as much as you can be as a dallas fan relatively confident Hey, look, any Dallas fan will sympathise with this sentiment. Every year is our year, so to speak. Jerry Jones talks of the Cowboys. They're America's team, the richest sporting franchise in the world right now, valued over $5 billion. But the problem is they haven't won a Super Bowl in quarter of a century. Mm-hmm. And they haven't even been to the Super Bowl in that period of time. You know, you, you look at some of the teams that have got there. The Carolina Panthers have been there. The Philadelphia Eagles have won their first Lombardi Trophy in that time there are plenty of teams that have actually been to the dance without talking the talk so to speak because that i guess that you mentioned um, the eagles Cal- and we talk giants as well obviously doubling down in that time 
uh, that just rubs salt in the wound when their two fiercest rivals are enjoying success. <laughs> Well, and I'll throw another name into the pot right now, the Washington football team. You know, you look at the mm. way that Ron Rivera brought them along last year. No hopers this time last year mm. in the NFC East to winning the title and making the, the postseason. And make no mistake, their defence is for real. And it's a unit to be feared. They say defence wins championships. Well, watch out for this Washington team. Everyone in Dallas talks about that offence, the weapons that Prescott's got. Ezekiel Elliott coming out of the backfield. The wide receiving core with C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, Gallup and, and, and co., but it's defense, ultimately, and that's something Dallas was sorely lacking last year, mm. an historically bad defense in franchise history. It was their worst over that time. So out goes the defensive coordinator. In comes Dan Quinn. They had 11 draft picks, eight of those spent on defensive on the defensive side of the ball. It's young. It's an inexperienced unit. The question is, can it be just average? With that mm. offense, you think a just average defense would be enough to take Dallas substantially forward. But it's mm. a big question mark right now. And quite frankly, it's not one we're going to find the answer to until a number of weeks into the season. I, it's a great point. But you, we really, it's, it, that's, I think, one of the reasons that Dallas are amongst the most intriguing sides out there. We'll talk about the offense in a bit. But as we, we've gone to D, let's get into that. Firstly, Dan Quinn, as you say, in Mike Nolan gone. I think that could be one of the best signings of the offseason. I know everybody looks at big star names on the field, often acquisitions, right? So looking at the deals that players are going from A to B, less prominence given to retention uh, of players, which which is an understandable thing. And even less, I guess, with coordinators moving. Dan Quinn, I think, could be one of the signings of the offseason, Gravesy. Yeah, he was the biggest name out there on the defensive side of the ball. And Dan Quinn is a head coach who took... The Falcons, of course, all the way to Super Bowl 51. He was with that um, core, the Legion of Boom, in their prime up there in Seattle uh, as well. So he's he knows the path in, in order to make it, this side of the ball a success. And he's brought with him Keanu Neal. Um, mm. I was in Chicago when Keanu Neal was drafted uh, by the Atlanta Falcons. And of all the people, the Jared Goffs, the Carson Wentz of this world that I spoke to, Keanu Neal was by far the most impressive of those individuals now he's had mm. a, a tough couple of years with, with injuries the question is can he stay fit are they going to uh, flip him all, to linebacker I, I was reading that seems to be the plan certainly in these opening weeks of training camp mm. that's where he's been playing of course they brought in Malik Hooker at the Monte mm. KZ who can play uh, at safety position as well but I, I think ideally they're going to look to move Keanu Neal nearer the line of, of scrimmage and see if they can utilize his talents uh, more effectively there and don't forget mm. that first round pick that they didn't really want to take uh, back in April. Mika Parsons, he's certainly been talked about as a potential rusher of the quarterback as well mm. and could be used in situational football um, in this his rookie season. So mm. th there are a lot of unknowns, Matt, essentially, about this defence because it's a unit that hasn't played together. And right. if it was that bad last year, the presumption is it can only get better. It can only get better, <laughs> right. I, I, it, that is what's fascinating. You mentioned, quite rightly, the, the volume of draft capital uh, deployed on, on the defense, which means not all of them obviously are going to start, but uh, certainly Mika Parsons, as you said, there's a, there's a lot of anticipation. He's going to go right in. So we don't know, and it's going to be young. And particularly, I guess that youth and newness is accentuated or, or the challenges therein are accentuated by Sean Lee and Tyrone Crawford, both, both retiring, right? Both that heavyweight locker room vets, 
in that unit, both walking away. Yeah, let's look at Tyron Crawford and that defensive line, which was just a disaster last year. They spent big money on the likes of Dontari Poe, seasoned veterans to, to try and shore it up, and it didn't work. Poe was Rarely gone does. by the end of October. Rarely works when you're splashing exactly. that kind of money. So now you look at um, what they do have on the defensive side of the ball, um, and it's a big year for the likes of, of Tristan Hill, um, Neville Gallimore entering his second season, who flashed in the, the latter half of the, his rookie campaign as well. They've obviously um, invested some draft capital there, hoping to create competition for places. And then you look at the linebacking, linebacking core, Sean Lee, experienced veteran. I'd be surprised if he's not employed in some way, shape or form um, on somebody's coaching tree before mm. too long. He's just got too much knowledge of the game to be left out there um, gathering dust. But equally, you've, you, you've got Leighton Van Der Esch, um, who didn't have his option picked up um, during the off-season. Big year for him. Jalen Smith, he's starting mm. this second contract. He has a lot to prove because he wasn't impressive last time around. And you've got Mika Parsons that comes in with a big reputation. People aren't sure exactly how he's going to fit in, but th there is comp competition for place with Keanu Neal perhaps moving into that linebacking group as well. Mm. Quite often in a modern game, now you know that you only play two linebackers on the field. Well, four into two doesn't go. So mm. it, it's a nice problem for Dan Quinn and Coach McCarthy to have. Going further back, Trayvon Diggs, a lot of high hopes for him. There's another name that, that's getting a lot of buzz in camp so far. Another draft pick, Nashawn Wright, who is a big old corner, isn't he? He's a fourth round pick. He's was he fourth round or is yeah, what are the third or fourth round? He uh, wasn't wasn't top two. Uh, six foot four, right? Uh, so he's a yeah. big bruising. I mean, this is the very much the secondary that they want to be deploying. I mean, there's no secret there. It's a very physical secondary. Have you heard much about him, Nashawn Wright? Any, any, any buzz? He, he's an, an interesting pick because he's taken 99th overall, as you've just referred mm. to. And it was felt at the time it was something of a reach for the Cowboys mm. um, to take him that high in the draft. But like you say, he's a big, rangy um, defensive back. Somebody Dan Quinn likes. He has the... The, the tangibles, if you like, that, that fits what Dan Quinn did way back then in, in Seattle. And right. You've got Kelvin Joseph, who they, they took earlier as well. And again, you're trying to create competition for places. Trayvon Diggs is nailed on starter mm. week one, and he's been making plays right from the, the word go in training camp. The question is, who's going to play on the opposite side of the field from him? And that's what Dallas are hoping they can find out during training camp and competition breeds a hunger and breeds talent out there on the field. And that, that's what they need. There's a lot, so much about this Cowboys defense. That's an unknown right now. That can go one of two ways. Either you can get, get onto the field week one and it's a little bit of rabbit's caught in the headlights, or as much as we talk about it being an unknown, it can be an unknown from week one for the opposition. They mm. can suddenly play better than expected. And mm. all of a sudden you've got a team that's contending. You're rolling. What's your sense uh, in terms of the dynamic between between Jerry Jones and Mike McCarthy, because because you know for a long time I think the perception with Jason Garrett was that given Jerry Jones's influence in the team, you know, in the front office and everywhere on <laughs> everywhere it seems in the team that Garrett was a yes man and he was his puppet, rightly or wrongly, that was the perception, right? And I, there was probably an element of truth in that. It, maybe it was exaggerated beyond um, kind of reasonable reasonable line, but. You know, McCarthy is coming in as a, a much more experienced head coach, 
uh, a Super Bowl winning head coach. Uh, and the sense was, OK, well, he's going to have a fair amount of autonomy and be able to do things his own way. Is your sense that uh, that is what's happening there, that actually Jerry is maybe backed off a little bit compared to the last decade? That might be a perception outside of the organization. Make no mistake about it. Jerry Jones is still very much hands on. He's still the, the owner, the president, the general manager of the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, and we've seen that from the way he's conducted himself with, with the media um, in the opening few weeks of mm. training camp. I actually think that this is a, a big year for McCarthy. You know, it's a decade now since he took the Green Bay Packers to that Super Bowl success, ironically enough. In Dallas, he, he came mm. in as a high-profile coach because Jerry Jones wants to win another Super Bowl. Now, last year, just didn't cut the mustard. Now, you can have the, all the arguments that you like, that the pandemic disrupted training camp. Um, it was a new coaching staff, new players. They had injuries. That's all fine. But other teams coped with, with those sort of problems. And, you know, we've already mentioned it. The Washington football team won the NFC East. And you wouldn't say that... They, they were a class A, grade A side throughout the whole of the year, but they found a way to win. Mm. And that's what the Dallas Cowboys have got to do because man for man, names on paper, they are possibly the most talented team in the NFC East. You yeah. struggle to find someone, another team to, to match them out, out of their competitors, but they've not been producing it on the field. And that's what needs to happen. And if it doesn't, and it's another losing record, I think Coach McCarthy's on thin ice. Well, he's already used that. I'll, I'll bid off my coordinator card <laughs> to protect my yes. neck. That one's gone. <laughs> you run out of those eventually. Uh, well, let's talk about the offense because, I mean, it is hugely exciting. I mean, it, you've nailed it, Gracie. The, the most exciting uh, and on paper, the strongest unit, no doubt in the NFC East, arguably amongst the strongest in the NFC, right? Because those receivers who you mentioned earlier on, that trifecta of Gallup, Lamb uh, and Cooper, almost 3,000 yards between them last year in a, in a pretty vanilla offense, obviously, because Dak was out. What do you make of Lamb's rookie season? Because he had just shy of 1,000 yards, um, looked very comfortable, very much at home, particularly in the slot. You've got Gallup as the burner and Cooper as the all-rounder. So they, they complement each other very well. But Lamb in particular, in that rookie class of great receivers – that had, I guess, fared, you know, in their first year to varying degrees of productivity. Where was Lamb in the mix for you? I thought he had an outstanding rookie campaign. When you throw into the mix as well, that what was it, four or five different quarterbacks? Right. He had thrown the ball at the various sh- points of the season. <laughs> the new <laughs> should be calling yeah, the new exactly. quarterback. Are we, are we going that uh, far? That, that being said, he had some drops as well, which mm. he will know about and will want to I- improve on. But make no mistake, he's another of those talented young players that this Cowboys team have, but the organization expect to make a leap on um, mm. this year. And when you think that Michael Gallup's contract is coming up uh, as well, Amari Cooper's in the second year of that uh, new deal that he signed. There's a get out of that for Dallas after the second year as well, if they want to take it. it it's a big year for that entire receiving call. A huge year for the receiving call, huge year for Zeke as well. I mean, he's got paid. So in that respect, he's not worried, but in terms of credibility, although let's put this in a little bit of context, right? So everybody's talking about the terrible year that Zeke Elliott had. He had 1,317 yards from scrimmage right last season, caught 52 passes, eight touchdowns as well. So by by anybody else's standards, it wasn't a bad year. By by Zeke's standards, of course, as one of the elite players in the NFL, it was. Was that because 
the team was struggling. The line was banged up because no Leo Collins, of course, no Tyron Smith. Zach Martin was out for a fair chunk, uh, wasn't he, last year? So the line wasn't great. He didn't have his starting quarterback. The offense, as a result, was, was pretty vanilla. Do you put it down to that or is there more to it than meets the eye? Well, everything you say there is true. It can't be argued against Nat. The, the problem is when you get the, the best contract in your position in, in the NFL, you're expected to then deliver. And mm. the, the point of the critics was that Zeke Elliott, having set that bar so high in his first few years in the NFL, simply wasn't making yards after contacts last year. Throw in there, what was it, three, four, five fumbles at critical stage. There's one fumble he mm. had in a game when he didn't even get touched. Uh, and he was not only costing his team possession, those turnovers were costing the Cowboys points, precious points they couldn't afford to, to give up, given the situation they found themselves, as you say, with all those injuries to the offensive line, with backup quarterbacks in, in as well. Dallas needed to be playing well. They needed their leaders, their veterans to stand up and be counted. And Zeke Elliott just didn't have a good year last time around. Mm. He knows that. He's well aware of it. The question, though, now is, can he bounce back and be the player that Dallas have paid him to be? And that's the great unknown. Where are the fans with him? Do they find here, I mean, clearly an incredible talent, but is there a sense that he's a bit moody? You know, certain players have a bit of an attitude and, you know, Odo Beckham's another one that does, right? That whether it's fair or not, he has this persona, Jay Cutler, of course, maybe most notoriously, where, where fans feel that they're, slightly aloof or just not really, you know, not really playing the game the way they'd like. Some people throw that at Zeke. Is that fair? Is that the fans maybe don't warm to him in the same way they do to other players? I I hesitate to say he's been overpaid. But when you look at the modern day NFL, and I'm sure we'll discuss Nick Chubb as well and the Mm. contracts he's just signed up there in, in Cleveland. Look, Zeke Elliott's earned the money he's got. His agent, as sure, earns his money. <laughs> he's done very well, um, both for himself and Zeke Elliott, in, in this deal. Um, but the, the problem is, in the one-day NFL, suddenly a, a huge chunk of your salary cap is going to a position that, just quite frankly, isn't valued as much as it once was in mm. this league. And when you pay that sort of money, that player's got to d- deliver. And Zeke Elliott hasn't been the player that everybody in Dallas knows he can be for a good couple of years now. This wasn't just a, a one-season wonder la- last time out. And that's why the question marks hang over him. You know, the, mm. the offensive line going into this season, I think I'm right in saying, is graded sixth overall in the NFL by pro football focus. That's if they stay healthy. Mm. Now, they will create the lanes if that's the case. But Zeke Elliott has got to have that burst and be able to break tackles like we saw in the first two or three years of his career. And for all that you um, churn out the the stats and figures that he did put up last year, they were muckily down on the year before and the Mm. year before they were down on the previous season uh, as well. So that the overall trend isn't a good one for Zeke Elliott. And that's what he's got to turn around. And that's why the fans perhaps a little bit hesitant when you bring up his name. Yeah. It's a great point you make because and we see this, I guess, in in so many different sports. But when you get to that, at, look, everyone and I, and I, you know, disparaging about the noosh. But I mean, this guy's an elite athlete that <laughs> that could do things I could ever dream of, right? But you know, when you go up and up and up, and you're getting to the very best of the best of the best, there's a perception that every time you touch the ball, every time you're involved, then you're going to do something extraordinary. And I guess that is accentuated when the team is struggling. And the logic 
is, well, particularly in, with this position, if the line around you is bad and there's no passing game, then of course it's going to be incredibly difficult for you to be as productive as you typically are. The, the counter argument is, well, that's exactly when I need you to make something happen because the line is bad and, and there's no air, uh, there's no aerial attack. So I, I do see both sides and I, and I wish Zeke well, I, I, right? What I would say is as well, if you look at the back half of last season, teams mm. weren't loading the box against the Cowboys and Zeke Elliott when they knew that Zeke Elliott was the only real weapon they had. That they had. She had Garrett Gilbert at quarterback or the rookie at quarterback over there in Philly. They were only putting seven in the, in the box and Zeke Elliott still wasn't breaking those big runs. I, I don't have the stats to hand, mm. but I'm fairly sure you can count on one hand how many runs of 20 yards or more Zeke Elliott had in the mm. whole of last season. Mm. Now, that that is a key stat for somebody like Zeke, and it's one that needs to change this season if he's going to live up to that contract. Did Daddy Dimes have more 20-yard-plus runs than Zeke Elliott last season? <laughs> That's yes, what I want to I think he did. I think he must have done. He did. Let's, let's look at the rivals then, because on paper, you're right. That I don't think there's any argument that Cowboys absolutely offensively and I think collectively are the, the strongest team in, in the NFC East. You've talked about the formidable defense of the Washington football team. Philly are in transition, a state of flux. The Giants are maybe the most intriguing uh, in terms of we're not quite sure where they're going to be. They've gone all in on Danny Dimes because they've given him Galladay. They've uh, given him, they've invested in the draft as well and, and uh, spent big in the receiver position there too, to an already interesting receiving core. Saquon, now a lot of issues about how fit he's going to be and if he's even going to start the season, right? But when you factor in, you've got Slayton, you've got Shepard, you've got Judge a year in. Do we think the Giants are maybe going to be on the inside rail, the bigger threat to Dallas in terms of winning the division than perhaps Washington are? No, in an answer. I'll welcome the criticism, but I'll tell you why. Because A, it's a huge year for Danny Dimes, as you seem to like to call him right now. I know a lot of you New York Giant fans that point to those fumbles and perhaps say, well, less of the nickname, concentrate on playing the game. Right. Um, because his turnovers uh, have been a killer for that Giants team over the last couple of years. A but lot the, of them, right? Yeah. I mean, it is. There really massive. has. And it's not just the interceptions, it's fumbles where he can't look after the ball. When, mm. when he gets tackled, he doesn't protect the ball. And that is an issue for both him and the New York Giants football team. But it starts with the offensive line in the trenches. Mm. And for all you talk about the weapons and bringing in Kevin Golladay, who's a great signing, an acquisition to that receiving core. If you can't protect the quarterback and give him mm. time to throw in the pocket, you're not going to make many yards downfield. And that's still a problem from what I see looking at the New York Giants football team. They haven't really upgraded on that offensive line. Yeah, uh, They didn't gel last year. And they've got some improvement to do if they're going to convince me they're going to be contenders this time around. They did, Someone made the point uh, quite recently that when we look at works in progress, look at let's say let's take Washington as a parallel here. So that brilliant defensive front seven, how many first round uh, round picks are in that mix? Right, it's four or five, I think. And the New York Giants offensive line. It, it just a perpetual work in progress that, but that never seems to get any better. <laughs> Constantly investing it, in it. It's been a revolving door, hasn't it, oh, over the last few years? They just can't get it right. They can't get it right. They, they change the names, they change the faces, they change the bodies, but the results are still the same. Still the same. And that is their quarterback gets hit a lot. Uh, and it's a problem if you're Daniel Jones. You know, you take all the criticism for turning the ball over, but if you're running for your life half the time, 
then, then I think there's mitigating circumstances. Um, Saquon Barkley's a big miss. If you have him in the lineup and a fully fit Saquon Barkley, then you make the, the opposing defences think when he's not in, in that backfield, well, it's just pin your ears back and go after the quarterback. And that's what we've seen recently. Really interesting to see how Saquon does it. And, you know, I was saying earlier on about Zeke and I, and I wish him well, because I do, to your point about the running back position, we are going to talk about Chubb and his deal. I am a long-standing supporter of making sure elite running backs continue to get paid. And the fact that the availability and the um, the obvious emphasis on the passing game and the shift in dynamic there for sure, but the strength and depth coming out of the college ranks consistently now means, well, we'll just flip this guy after a couple of years. And 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 the McCaffreys and, uh, and Saquon and Zeke, the exceptions to that rule should be should be celebrated. I wish him well, because if they, if they start to decline and the running back position just becomes this kind of equilibrium of, of best, above average, worst kind of mediocre play that are just interchangeable, I, I think the game's going to be worse for it. Um, so I'd so I love to see Saquon bounce back. I'd love to see Zeke bounce back for that matter. The, the fight we talked about at the top of the show, you'll love this. So friend of the show, Ralph Acciano, uh, uh, of course, uh, longstanding Giants writer who wrote a, a very good book on um, Eli Manning. It's worth seeking out if you have, uh, if, you, if you're interested in the future Hall of Famer, Eli, <laughs> Eli Manning. Uh, I'm sounding like a Giants fan here, Gravy. The, uh, this is, he you're wrote, doing a good job of talking yeah. about now. I will say that. Uh, picking <laughs> them up. I don't know why I've got a soft spot for them, but they... Um, They've been mixing it up. Joe Judge, as we know, is quite a dogmatic, demonstrative type. Um, maybe not the, to the Dan Campbell uh, end of the of the spectrum, but not far off. So I think we know they're going to be quite a, a frisky bunch. There was a, bro- a full... Just on that, Nat, are you surprised by how little we seem to have heard out of the Lions camp so far during training camp, given that press conference that Dan Campbell gave? Yes. Uh, which was fairly vitriolic, wasn't it? But so far... It's not simmering just beneath the surface. Everything seems to be smooth. We'll see how long that lasts. Disappointing so far. Yeah, I just wonder. I wonder. If, yeah, he's being closed lid. They're just, he's just, they're taking care of him inside the organization. But they won't be able to control him when we're up and running during the season. Right? Those post game, the lines got owned for, sure. for Jared Goff. Who, incidentally, the crazy stuff on Jared Goff. Uh, I've kind of tipped my hand here a bit, but Jameis Winston most interceptions out a starting quarterback since 2017. Uh, Jared Goff number two on that list. And not far off Jameis. When you consider where he's been playing, wow, that that surprised me. Just yeah. uh, 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 how how uh, that is a long road back to redemption for for Jared Goff. So this brawl, full, t- it's a full team brawl, our favourite kind. Um, so <laughs> what I like most about this, and for those listening who are who are Daniel Jones apologists, so Evan Ingram is in the the, the mix, the tight end. Uh, he got hit by Jabril Peppers. That's where it started. That everybody piled in. But apparently Jones, and this is Bacchiano, inserted himself into the mix after it had broken out. So I I, I quite respect that about Danny Jones. Like a lot of quarterbacks <laughs> will just be all, oh, oh, or they make, they do the kind of slightly, they're getting involved a bit of this, but they're not actually, he got right in there. I bet Joe Judge wasn't um, respecting for it. Put it that way. You <laughs> know, he's, he's quarterback sure. of your franchise. You, there's a reason doing? you wear a red shirt in, in training camp. It's <laughs> sure. to stay out of trouble. Do not go inserting yourself in places where you do not need to be. 
Yeah, a fair, a fair. Um, let's talk about the Carson Wentz injury uh, for Indy, mm. uh, which of course has broken in the last 24 hours or so, thrown the cult season uh, into a, a real tailspin before it's even started. And we're not quite sure how long it's going to be out for, but therein lies the problem. It's certainly going to be a good chunk of time. And I guess as well, it's blown the AFC South wide open, right? Because the Colts were, if not the de facto favorite, certainly looked like they were going to be running the Titans close for, for the division. Uh, the, the interesting development that has broken today, uh, Philip Rivers coming out and saying, <laughs> I <laughs> wondered if you were going to mention this. <laughs> let's do this. I've not completely ruled out a comeback, says Philip Rivers. How much would you love to see Philip Rivers come back in and save the day? You, you know that because of the competitor that Philip Rivers is, and he never says never, he never closes the door in any situation. Right. And that's clearly what, what he's done here. He's um, preoccupied with coaching, I think it's a high school football team yep. through the first part of, of the year. But he's just put that element out there that should the Indianapolis Colts or anybody else for that matter need a, a veteran quarterback with playoff experience come, say, the final three or four weeks of the season? Well, I'm, I'm sure that he can dust down the pads, get the cleats out and make himself available. That way he hasn't had to deal with training camp. He hasn't had to deal with all the early season hits and bumps and bruises that goes. And you can insert yourself straight into playoff contention. I love it's it. It's a perfect scenario. Smart. <laughs> I love that. And and uh, you're right. If if you think about quarterbacks of the recent era in in recent times that that could pull that off, he would definitely. The man played on a torn ACL for goodness sake. I think he can handle it. Although you got me thinking because he is, as you rightly say, a, a high school coach. It's a little bit Friday Night Lights here. I mean, what if he gets his team to state <laughs> and on the eve of state, he has to leave to go and, and play for the Colts and, and push their playoff by them? I mean, that could be the way that plays out. So he yeah. wouldn't. Philip Rivers wouldn't abandon his team. I guarantee he'd stay there for the state game. Yes. See his team to victory and then get on a private jet to go and play for yes. the Colts. Probably the same afternoon. Same afternoon. That's- story <laughs> rock up at the second quarter and just just uh okay go run straight on the field and crack on uh quinton nelson uh is also injured so things going from bad to worse for uh, the colts uh quinton nelson who of course is a key part of that offensive line he's out for uh five to 12 weeks which is the same timeline roughly they're giving to wentz as well which yeah okay i guess it's the severity of a of a fracture he's having surgery as well so things are looking uh challenging for Indy. What are they going to do? Nick Foles, everybody's friskily suggesting would make a lot of sense because of the Frank Wright connection. Carson Wentz will probably have some uh, complete meltdown if they, if they bring Foles in. Uh, Jacoby Brissett, I've seen his name mentioned, of course, long-standing association with the, the franchise. Uh, Blake Bortles on the market as well. Go Blake. Uh, so, so which way do you think they'll go? Uh, well, uh, I texted you, didn't I, yesterday and said, look, have you seen this Nick Foles press conference? Because short of actually saying outright, Frank Wright, come and trade for me right now because I want to come and play for you. Mm. Nick Foles did everything but say that. Um, It's a remarkable press conference, really. just turned around quite honestly and said, look, I'm a third-string quarterback here in Mm. Chicago. I'm playing with third-teamers who, from his demeanor, he doesn't think have got a chance of making the roster. Um, And he pointed out, look, Frank Reich, somebody I've worked with before, worked with successfully. Mm. I'm a better quarterback now. I've learned a lot more in intervening three or four years since then, it's the perfect match. Now, we've heard nothing from the Indianapolis side, um, but you would suggest that they are going to have to make a move in the next week or so to shore up that, that quarterback position, at least until they've got a more definitive grasp on how long Carson Wentz is going to be out for, because there are uncanny parallels 
with what happened to Peyton Manning when he got injured. Mm. If you remember, back a decade ago, the attitude from the Colts initially was pretty much the same. Well, he, yes, he is carrying a, a knock, but we don't think it's serious. And then, of course, he has surgery and he ends up missing the entire season now. Right. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Carson Wentz is going to miss um, the entire season at all. Uh, but they've, Frank Reich said, we are hopeful that it's on the shorter end of that scale. So five mm. weeks. If it's on the longer end of that scale now, that's 12 weeks. Mm. You're halfway through the season at that point. And with the Tennessee Titans putting together the roster that they've already got, the season could be done and dusted mm. by, by that point. So it it's an interesting scenario. It's not one I think that the Indianapolis Colts really envisaged when they made the trade for Carson Wentz. And oh, by the way, you better believe the Philadelphia Eagles are keen, interested spectators in this because this could very easily be the difference between a first-round draft pick next year's compensation for Wentz and a second-round draft pick. Yeah, God, of course. That's a great point. I hadn't considered that at all. Yeah, yeah, spot on. Um, One more for you. Nick Chubb, which, uh, who we've mentioned already 11 times on the show. Uh, so he has, like Zeke, the aforementioned Zeke Elliott, Got paid $36.6 million three-year extension, $20 million in guaranteed money. Always keep an eye on that, of course. Uh, the money he's going to get, whatever, uh, $12 million of that as a signing bonus. Got to love those signing bonuses. Uh, I'm relieved it's behind us now, said Chubb. Uh, it's taken care of. I'm very happy where I am. I get to come out here and focus on getting better every day. I mentioned that because it might sound unremarkable uh, as an athlete saying that. They all kind of say that. But Chubb, by all accounts... Graves, he is one of those very understated characters, isn't he? Just get goes about his business. No, not much, huge amount of show. Uh, just and given the style of runner that he is as well, this brilliant dynamic of power and strength and burst. Emerging is one of my favorite players in the NFL, I think. Yeah, and I'm going to give you one stat as well, which I pulled out uh, a few days ago, which I find remarkable. Uh, running backs last season um, to rush in the fourth quarter. The criteria for this was minimum of 30 rushes in the fourth quarter, um, 30 rushes over the course of the season in the fourth quarter. Nick Chubb, by a distance, led the running backs, averaging 10.3 yards a carry in the fourth quarter of an NFL game. Are you kidding me? I'd be saying that is remarkable. I'd be with the, uh, with the big guys up front getting the oxygen by that stage of the game, uh, Graves. You're not running for 10 yards on average. Let, let me give you a comparison. Derrick Henry mm. averaged 6.62 yards a carry in the fourth quarter last season. And that's a great comparison because everybody says oh, Henry just gets better and better as the game goes on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It ju just remarkable. So you, we spoke a lot about Zeke Elliott earlier. Remember what he did two years ago? I'm not turning up to training camp. I've got two years to run on my mm. um, rookie deal, but I am not showing up until I get paid. Mm. Now, great for Zeke Elliott, great for his agent. You get a, a $90 million total package for a, a running back or whatever it was at, at the time. This has much more of the Tom Brady's about it than it does the Zeke Elliott's of mm. this world because it's a $36.6 million three-year deal, team-friendly. You know, the team can get out of it after two years, if you like. Nick Chubb's currently 25 years old. Well, mm. two years from now, he'll be 27, going on 28. We all know that the stats for running backs in the NFL tend to – fall off a cliff somewhat from the age of 27 onwards. There aren't too many Frank Gores or Adrian Petersons uh, around these days. But what this deal does mean, it means that the Cleveland Browns can continue on that ascending curve that they finished last season on. You know, Miles Garrett signed his new deal um, during the close season. 
the change in Cleveland and the mentality is remarkable. It's not that many years ago the Dante Whitner and co were signing big money deals at the mm. tail end of their career. And that didn't work out for the Cleveland Browns. Cleveland, let's be honest, wasn't a destination. Many people wanted to go to it's where you went to play out your career. Mm. Well, that's changed. Now people see what's going on in Cleveland. Their chief strategy officer signed his new deal as well. This is very much a talented roster and a place that people do want to go and play football. Now they, they see the, the wealth of riches that they've got to play alongside and it's an attractive proposition and fair play to the management up there in Cleveland because mm. it, it's like turning around the Titanic after so many years <laughs> of doom and gloom. They're now heading in the right direction and it's an exciting time. Yeah, really. It's really, really well said. And one other final thing on uh, on the Chubb deal, Nick Shook was pointing this out uh, on NFL.com, uh, of course, a prolific writer for uh, the mothership, uh, that he wasn't even the lead running back at Georgia. And in fact, in the draft that Chubb went and I'd forgotten this, Sony Michelle, who was also with him at Georgia, went ahead of him in the draft. And, and okay, he's been, uh, you know, relatively successful, I guess, but I don't think to the, to the same level that productivity that Chubb is, is delivering. We could look at it in any way, uh, shape or form. So uh, funny how it all works out. And you're right, uh, the Cleveland Browns turning it around and Baker Mayfield's maybe the biggest winner of all here because of that backfield. That makes life for Baker a lot easier that, as well. That, that, that is the big thing, isn't it? Because you've still got Kareem Hunt tied up for another two years. Nick Chubb's going to be there for at least two more years, possibly more. That one-two punch, and we're not even talking about the Jarvis Landrys, the Odell Beckham Juniors of this world, to go along with that ferocious offensive line that were road graders collectively mm. last season. Yes. Don't expect that to change anytime soon. I'm big on Beckham as comeback player of the year. I've been saying it so often, Grazy, that I'm sure at the end of the season when he's had 400 yards and three touchdowns and another abject failure season that Ollie, our producer, will just cut up the amount of times I've said it and just roll it as maybe a whole episode just on me pushing that line. But I've you heard you, it. You here. should know by now, Nat, after all your years of experience in this industry, give yourself a get out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, why did I think of that? Uh, great to see you, Bud. Thanks for dropping by and catching up with us. Uh, we are getting very close, touching distance of the season. So we'll be seeing you very soon. You can guarantee uh, that. Look after yourself. Enjoy uh, the summer months and we'll see you when the season's up and running. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having us now. Brilliant stuff from Gravesy. He'll be back very soon. You can count on that. And we will be too, because as I said at the top of the show, some big names dropping your way, including Field Yates. How about that? ESPN Insider, one of our faves. Sunday, that episode's dropping. So, hey, we're figuring we're only a few weeks away from NFL Sunday. So we'll get some episodes dropping on Sundays to keep you fresh and keep you focused. And if that wasn't enough, I and Mike Carlson, Back in the house. Where's Carlson been? Well, you will find out where Carlson has been. He will undoubtedly have a lot of hot takes on many different subjects. I'm not sure we'll be able to get it into one episode. We might That might end up being a double header uh, with Carlson. But that's dropping next week. So Field Yates Sunday, Carlson next week. We've got Ben Isaacs and College Days coming up as well. That's going to be a fun one where he's going to start to pick out some of the big name quarterbacks and other big name players in the college game this year that are going to be first round as we think in the draft next year. So NFL stars coming up as well. And last, but certainly by no means least this August, an edge rush NFL season special.
Yeah, we can't drop that now because we are early August here and Ollie, the producer, up to, I would say, around his ears, maybe even slightly higher in Xerox paper, old school data and graphs and charts just everywhere. I mean, just picture the scene. He's got floor to ceiling, uh, charts and graphs everywhere, just getting set for all the hot tips for Edge Rush and the season preview special. So cannot wait to hear his insight and get stuck into that as well. So it's fair to say uh, the show is rolling through August, jam-packed to get you set for the season to keep it with us. We'll see you soon. Bye for now. Follow Baseball Nuts. Join us on the Johnny and Josh show with my baseball brothers where JC will endeavor to offer some insightful analysis. And my friend Eric Jansen will offer quirky baseball trivia but we also have david langell who will combine a high level of inappropriateness with a low level of analysis the johnny and josh show available to download wherever you listen to your podcasts sports social podcast network